Welcome, everybody. It's time for Hollywood Godfather again. Thank God. We are in the hundreds of episodes. And tonight's show I'm really excited about for many reasons. It's how Charlie and Rocco crossed our paths early on. And one was very involved with a close friend of mine, Frank Sinatra. And then um, them being from Chicago, who are very recognized by the syndicate. So let's get into this here, please. It's about the Vachetti brothers, right? Group? Yes, sir. All right. Give us a little facts on this, Pat, so we can let our audience know okay. who they are. I was all set for you to give me a uh, very warm uh, introduction. But oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. No. See, I, I've been, I, it's too late. A very warm introduction. A very warm introduction for my co-writer Patrick Picciarelli, our cohort, executive producer, and whatever else title she has by now, Megan Horan, and yours truly. See, how was that? Was that warm enough for you, Pat? Yeah, I'm freaking overheated. All right, yeah, perfect, cool. perfect. So, Joe, the Fischetti brothers. Bichetti brothers uh, were uh, cousins of Al Capone. Now, I'll give you a little background on Al. Those of you who don't know, he wasn't a Chicago boy. He was a Brooklyn boy. And in fact, uh, uh, he, he and my father were friends when they were growing up. Uh, because my father was also born in Brooklyn in the same neighborhood. That said, in uh, 1920, uh, young Al, who was only uh, 21 at the time, now, everybody, everybody thinks that Capone, since he had such power and uh, and uh, garnered such fear, that he was an older guy. He ran Chicago when he was in his 20s. Yeah. He was a man. He, he, he died when he was 47. I mean, this guy uh, rose to the top very quickly. Anyway, he was having trouble back in Brooklyn, and he was told to go see his cousin, Johnny Torrio, who was the uh, second in command, yep, Chicago outfit. It wasn't known as the outfit back then, but he worked no. under Big Jim Colosimo, who uh, ran everything out there. So uh, Johnny Torrio took Young Al under his wing, and uh, the rest is history. But Torrio had to go, and it was said that uh, Capone was behind his ambush. That he survived, by the way, and he just decided to retire. And Colosimo was killed in his office listening to opera. And Capone took over, entered the Fischetti uh, brothers, who were the uh, cousins of Al Capone, came to Chicago as uh, uh, his chauffeur and bodyguard. Uh, uh, Charlie Fischetti, the older brother, was the chauffeur, and Rocco was the bodyguard. Right. And they, they uh, maintained a very low profile, which is what you're supposed to do if you're, uh, if you're a gangster. Well, it's interesting because as they, uh, the two gentlemen that I got to know really close was a gentleman called Yale Cohen, who was a bodyguard for Al Capone also. And then the guy who preceded all of them to, to create the syndicate. I mean, yeah, this, this, no, the, the outfit was uh, Tony Accardo. They all came out of the Capone era. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, and it wasn't until uh, Al Capone went down for tax evasion, that was the only way that they could uh, put him in prison. And everybody knows that story. Right. Uh, that the Fischettis started to come into their own. Uh, they were into gambling mostly. They ran casinos in Chicago, Kansas City. Uh, the papers at the time, for the research I did, claimed that they were making, uh, I don't know where they get these figures from, but $20 million a year seems a little bit. Jesus. <laughs> hell of a crap game, let me tell you, man. <laughs> you know, it's like when they arrest uh, uh, organized crime gamblers around uh, Super Bowl time. They all run $300 million gambling operations. You ever notice that? Well, yeah, I know, because it, it gives good headlines for election year. Yeah, they get out. They get out the next day on, on on fifty dollars bail, and that's the end of the case. But anyway, they they were gamblers. Uh, Charlie was the brains of the outfit. Uh, he was behind uh, their expansion. Uh, their criminal record was sparse, to say the least. Uh, he was questioned. Uh, Charlie was questioned in a couple of homicides, gambling racketeering invasion, uh, uh, gambling. Labor racketeering investigations. He was convicted for one year on a concealed weapons charge, like his cousin. Uh, Al Capone volunteered to go to jail for a year. Uh, and uh, he basically gave himself up that I'm carrying a concealed weapon. And he went to jail for a year. And the Fischetti, the older Fischetti brother, Charlie, basically followed in his footsteps. It was getting too hot. So he decided to go to jail for a year. Well, that's interesting because, you know, uh, two gentlemen out of Israel, believe it or not, don't ask me how I remember these names, Menachem Golan and Yerum Goblis. <laughs> yeah, easy for you to say. Yeah, and they, they, they produced three gangster movies from Israel. And the first one was Louis Lepke, where Tony Curtis played Louis Bookhalter. And I played Albert Anastasia and Vic Tabak. And it was a great movie. And then the second movie we made was called The Four Deuces, which was about the casino that Rocco and Charlie owned. I mean, Charlie being the older brother. And Charlie, was playing by, who played my older brother, was Jack Palance. Now, Jack Palance and I have nothing to do with looks, height, anything above it. The guy was nuts. But he, he played Charlie, and I played Rocco in that movie. And uh, that's how he learned so much about the Fischetti brothers. And even in our movie, though, it was interesting because I found out more about the Fischetti brothers from from Sinatra. Did that come up anywhere in your history? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was an emissary between uh, Chicago and uh, Lucky Luciano, who was de deported in the 40s to Italy and managed to work his way occasionally to Cuba. Uh, one of the Fischetti brothers, uh, I think it was Charlie, gave Sinatra a suitcase with Full money. Yep. to I bring it to Luciano. Sinatra was consistently questioned about that. He, he appeared before congressional committees. He always denied it. He said, yeah, I had a suitcase. There was only a couple of papers in there. I mean, because who actually knows how much money was in there, if there was any money at all? But $2 million, it, it's... Uh, a little heavier than a couple of pieces of paper. Yeah, I would think. <laughs> you know, he, he wasn't about to fall on the sword and say, yeah, you got me. Yeah, no. Uh, but they figured uh, Sinatra would be safe carrying the money. 
And he was, and he did it several times. The last time he did it was when uh, Fidel Castro took over. It was two days before Christmas, not like in the movie on Christmas Eve in Godfather. They had it on New Year's Eve, rather. It was right after Christmas, and they knew they were taking over. And anybody that had suitcases filled them with money, and they had to leave their clothes behind. And uh, at that time, I think Sinatra had four suitcases. So it was a lot of little pieces of paper that time. <laughs> uh, uh, Charlie was known as a very fearsome-looking guy. Uh, you tell me. Tough uh, guy, though, too. Yeah, let me th- you, you be the judge if I'm pronouncing this right. He was the master of Malachico, Malachio, Evil Eye. Ah, okay. Uh, evil Eye, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was said that he could just stare at you and, and, and scare you half to death. Well, the, uh, in Sicilian, it's the Malachia. Malachia, okay, that's it. Yep. This is Charlie you're talking about, right, Pat? Yeah, yeah. yeah the older there was a nickname that there was a nickname that he had was Charles Trigger Happy Fischetti. Was he ever convicted of any, no. you know, assaults, any murders, anything? I wonder where he got that nickname from. He was questioned. Well, he was suspected at the Saint Valentine's Day massacre, wasn't he? Well, they don't mention it, but what they do mention in the research I've done was that he was one of the he was the shooter that killed uh, Bugsy Siegel. Okay. And, 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 no, that's not true. Nope. Yeah, well, that's, nope. that's what I I, I know thinking. who that shooter was. Alan Smiley hired that guy. Yeah. Uh, well, Alan brought Bugsy to Virginia Hills' house that afternoon. It was a Sunday afternoon in Beverly Hills. Yeah, they set him up. Yeah. Uh, uh, Fischetti didn't deny it. He didn't say anything. He just kept his mouth shut like he was doing all his life. But uh, no one officially knows who pull the trigger on Bugsy. Right. He named him. They probably named uh, 20 other fierce-looking guys, too, you know. Right. It's just uh, an unsolved crime. Well, before we continue on, Pat, if I could interrupt for just a sec, it's time for a commercial break. All right. Time to make some money. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. We know where you live. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com All right, we're back with the Fischetti brothers. Charlie now, uh, the uh, various police departments knew he had done various hits and they were extremely frustrated that they couldn't get uh, evidence on this guy. So there was a cop named uh, William Drury, the Chicago PD, tried to frame Charlie Fischetti for the uh, beating death of a gangster's girlfriend. And they were about to lock Fischetti up when the cop was gunned down. And he was killed, and that was the end of the investigation. I wonder how that, how that happened. I don't know. <laughs> they, well, they generally don't kill cops. Well, I know, I know. Unless the cops are involved. He's a rat, that's why. A rat is a rat is a rat. Yeah, perhaps he was involved uh, and he went 
Charles Drury, his name was, he, he tried and failed. And after he was killed, uh, the uh, investigation into that homicide just dropped. Why, why do I know that name, Charles Drury, though, for something else? What was, was, was there William, another one? Yeah. What, 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 what'd you say? It was William. William. Oh, William. I'm sorry. Uh, probably a high-ranking officer in, in Chicago PD. They didn't give his rank. But since he was uh, heading the investigation, I'm assuming he was at least a captain. What are we talking about, the 30s or 40s? There is no date for that. Oh, okay. When, uh, when did they was, die, the Fischettis? One, one in 64, of a, a Charlie in 64 of a heart attack. Uh, and uh, his brother in 74 of a heart attack. Wow. Both of them. Now, it was said, you know, when, when anybody of Capone's stature goes to prison or dies, the question is always asked, what happened to the money? Hello. <laughs> the rumor was that the Fischettis had it, that they uh, took possession of all his funds. They always lived modestly. When Capone went to prison, uh, Charlie bought a beachfront mansion on uh, Allison Island. Uh, that was every bit as classy and swanky as uh, Capone's Palm Island spread, which was a, a couple of miles from him. Right. The money from, it's assumed that when Capone went to prison, he just gave him the money. Well, the problem is with that little bit of mob history, and nobody mentioned Frank Nitty, <laughs> who took over the family. Well, you know, I, I didn't really look because I was concentrating on... Uh, no, but I'm saying that... Uh, Frank Nitty, which uh, I had phone conversation yesterday with his grandson, they're all living pretty well yet on what their grandfather left. So, <laughs> and uh, that, that's interesting that they are attributing the Fischetti's to having all the Capone money, where they, they were they like, start, I'm sorry. I said they started to get a, a, a reputation, which brought them to the uh, uh, the spotlight during the Kefauver committee. Uh, the, both brothers got subpoenaed uh, to testify before the Kefauver Committee. And if anybody knows uh, mob history, they didn't testify. They fled to Mexico uh, to avoid the subpoena, which I th thought odd because everybody was taking the fifth anyway. But they decided to run. So uh, who does Kefauver get to testify in Charlie's place but his wife? Well, they subpoenaed her. Uh, so she testified, and of course she took the fifth and didn't say anything. So I didn't understand that whole thing, why, why they didn't appear. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if you remember, or even Megan remembers, Frank Nitty was so petrified of getting even just uh, not, not what, taking the fifth, but getting a 180 days for contempt. And so he just killed himself. Yeah, shot himself on a beach or something, right? Went for a walk. He walked. He went. To, he went for. He went to church with his family on a Sunday, kissed them all goodbye. Nobody had any. Nobody, even his son Nick, who I was really close to, nobody knew it. And he just went upstairs to his bedroom, emptied out his wallet and everything else, his jewelry, and took a walk down to the waterfront and blew his brains out. Because he he was a claustrophobic. This is the guy who's got claustrophobia. Man. Yeah, really. I mean, he was only going to jail for contempt, and he blew his brains out. 
Well, he thought they'd just keep doing it. That was the threat they were started to do because they were getting so frustrated. I think during the Keith Alva Commission, there was like 50 guys that took the fifth. And uh, now they, they didn't were, accomplish anything then. I know. But they were, they were going to start to Im- implicate them and give them the uh, contempt. If they asked the same question three times and they took it three times, they'd give them 180 days and bring it back out. As long as the uh, the, the session was still in, in, you know, I beat well, it. I, I, I can't see that holding up in court because it's your constitutional right not to answer any questions that would incriminate you. I don't care if you plead. In fact, generally lawyers advise their clients who are going to plead the fifth, plead the fifth to everything. including right. the Even your name, everything, yeah. Once mm. they do it. They're covered by the Constitution. You know, uh, the research I did uh, when uh, Charlie Fischetti's wife was subpoenaed before the commission, and she took the fifth, Kefauver threatened her with contempt. That's as far as he got. Oh. He, he knew that was bogus. Couldn't do it. I mean, you can do anything you want to do, but she would have walked into jail and walked right out again. Right. Well, that's why later on, I mean, I'm not astute to law, but that's that's when Bobby enacted the RICO Act because that basically stripped them of a lot of things, especially their wealth. And um, that's that's what really brought... I think that's what really started the whole, you know, epidemic of these rats that we know today even that make deals because of the RICO Act, you know, years ago, people go do 10, 15 years on their head and their families were taken care of and everybody was taken care of. It was the RICO Act that... Uh, if they couldn't, or even the wives couldn't say how they bought that house, they foreclosed on it and took it. In, in well, I tell you, you know what surprised me was uh, that they they didn't offer these wise guys uh, transactional uh, immunity. You offer them immunity, and they have to testify. They didn't do it. Well, I, I think that was too early on. I, I don't know if that that the loyalty. Oh, Marta then was so strong. It's not, you know, it was before Henry Hill and Valachi well, and everybody else. You have else. a point, because if they would have offered it and whoever was being questioned didn't take it, they automatically go to jail for contempt, at least for the length of the hearings and possibly more. They would have had no one to sit down in a witness chair because everybody would have gone to jail for contempt. As well, you said, you know, they kept their mouth shut back then. Yeah, and I think that's what uh, that's what Nitty was anticipating, and that's why he killed himself. Because he did, he I mean, I'm talking about claustrophobic. I mean, I only know one guy that really that was claustrophobic was D. Martin. He wouldn't even get on the elevator when he was staying, even performing in Vegas. He stood on the second, third floor and took the steps. It's it's, it's some guys. I don't understand it. I mean. Well, did Frank Nitti ever do any jail time at all during his lifetime, you know? I think he did three days, and it almost drove him nuts. Wow, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, everybody, I think, is claustrophobic to a point, like taking uh, an exam in an MRI, for example. I'm not claustrophobic, but I get slid into that tube. I've had a couple of uh, uh, MRIs over the course of my life. And and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's close. And it's like you're in a coffin. Have you ever taken an MRI? I take them probably every three months. <laughs> it, it doesn't bother you at all? No. And, and even staying in a closet or 
close quarters. I got used to it in my early career. No, I, I mean, I would, I'd stay in storm sewers. No, I, well, I had to. Yeah. No, I was. I never was claustrophobic. Thank God. Well, that's the only. I don't consider myself claustrophobic either. But going into an MRI is the only thing that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I'll do it. I mean, I have no choice. Right. But I don't... Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Did you ever take an MRI, little girl? No, I have not. <laughs> Haven't. You have so much to live for. <laughs> <laughs> so much left to do. <laughs> First MRI. So, yeah, right, exactly. in, in well, your, you being the millennium, millennial, is it millennial? Millennial, yes. Millennial. Mille, millennial. Millen, yes, millennial. We're always going back and forth between the words. I forget which one's actually right. Mike, I can imagine me. <laughs> so, in the research that you did on, on the Fischettis, what did you find fascinating about them? Yeah, so I don't know if Pat's gotten to Joseph yet. Pat, you said Joseph was the younger brother. He got in later. Yeah, I haven't yet, so why don't you take it? Okay, sure. Um, well, the one thing that I read about Joseph that I thought was interesting was that um, he worked as a sort of agent to Sinatra in Miami and Chicago and got him several bookings when Sinatra's career was nearly dead in the 50s, early 50s. And supposedly in May 1947... Joseph Fischetti bragged to an FBI informant about his quote-unquote financial interest in Sinatra. Um, Gianni, did you know anything about this, about him working as a sort of agent for Sinatra? No, you know why? Because I was uh, in 1947, I was four years old. <laughs> I, I got <laughs> well, polio. At the time, I got polio later. in 49, so I, don't, I didn't know. No, I knew, <laughs> I knew there was a connection because uh, they made the entree for Sinatra when he called a cardo after having a problem here in New York, and that's when New York and Chicago said, now we both own him. And that's when they, uh, he worked 16 weeks a year for the syndicate then, which included the outfit in Chicago. Got it. He was supposed to, Sinatra was supposed to be friends with a few of the brothers, the ones who were most involved. But Did Joey, he ever talk about them to you? Oh yeah. Well, later I, on? Well, in fact, I told Pat I knew about the Fischetti brothers and Sinatra. I mean, Sinatra loved Joey, and uh, they were close. I mean, I didn't know that he was booking him or anything like that, but I knew uh, financially they were supporting him on his downtime because he said that. They were good friends of his, and they took care of his wife and the kids and all that during his... He was going through a, a terrible time, obviously. Yeah, it was supposedly something about Joe had a connection to the Fontainebleau, and somehow it was found out that Sinatra It was called was Maya doing, Lansky. <laughs> mm, that Sinatra was doing gigs for free or something like that. There was some... Yeah, hello. Something we, going on We there. all spoke about that numerous times. Right. Yeah, he, he he did the last week of January, the first week of uh, February, two shows a night for nothing. Got it. Yep. That's why you mean it. But, you know, that was already straightened out through the outfit and the Vachettis being a part of that. But that's later on in the 50s when all that came to be. Uh, I, I just found something. Uh, Rocco 
uh, eventually was forced to testify, and he uh, pled the fifth. And uh, the the uh, committee charged him with contempt, as you, as you said they were going to do. But a judge acquitted him on the grounds that Rocco's fears were probably well-founded, meaning that anything he said would incriminate him. So the judge threw it out. Yeah. See, I, I knew there was something going on because ne- ne- his, uh, his son and I had numerous conversations about why his, I mean, you can imagine, his, his son was analyzing why his father committed suicide. Yeah. And it was because of the uh, contempt. They were going to try to implicate that and put these guys in jail. His father just couldn't do it. So and that's why I'm saying, I'm, I'm, like you pointed out, it was unconstitutional. But they tried anything, and they, as now you're saying too, in history that they, they wrote it down that they were going to try that. Well, they tried it, but they knew after one shot it wasn't going to work. It's impossible. Right. You have that right. Yeah, but he, he didn't want to be the example in a cell <laughs> while, while, right. while they're contesting it. <laughs> you, know, you, you talk about uh, people who spend their entire lives in the life. Rocco had only one brush with the law. And, uh, well, he used to call himself Robert Fisher, by the way. That was his alias. But uh, he was once fined presenting a driver's license under that name, uh, Robert Fisher, after his uh, Cadillac struck a car. So he had to pay a $20 fine. That was his brush with the law. That's wow. Yeah. All time in the mob. He was a good dresser, too, because when when I, I studied his character... It was an interesting, uh, they had a, a gambling club called the Four Deuces in Chicago. It was like a full-out blown casino with girls and everything else. And uh, one, one night, I, I gave credit as the character of Rocco to a guy that was from the, the south side that we weren't supposed to. I didn't know that. And, and Charlie gave me a beating, literally. I couldn't believe... Jack Palance, worse than James Kahn, was wrecking his office with me, banging me against the walls. That's <laughs> a method actor, man. I'm saying, but I mean, well, he, he's nuts. Well, I, I don't know how many of you all know Jack Palance. This guy was like a major. Well, you saw the size of him, I think. Does anybody remember him as a character? Oh, yeah, I, yeah sure. Yeah. In fact, he had a, he had a short-lived television series for the end of his career, Kowalski or something like that. It's just a, a, it was his last name. He was Polish. He played a Chicago cop. But he was well into his 70s then. Oh, wow. And he won a, uh, an Academy Award uh, later in life. He was well into his 70s when he went on stage to, to uh, for the Oscar, the Best Supporting Actor. He accepts the Oscar. Then he, he falls down on the stage and starts doing the one push-up. on push-ups. One-on push-ups. Yeah, and did what? a lot of them. Wasn't that for the Manchurian candidate? No. That was for, uh, it was a comedy. Uh, A comedy? In fact, it was two of them. Uh, Billy Crystal was in it. In fact, he was in both of them, the uh, the, the movie and the sequel. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Jack Palanche played a guy named Curly. He was a cowboy in modern times, and he was a psycho. It wasn't much of a stretch. Okay. Is yeah. it City Slickers? What me? City, oh, City Slickers? Slickers, maybe. City Slickers, that's it. That's it, yeah. Quick research. Well, you're older than I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm uh, not. Uh, you know, you know, 
Yeah, he won the Best Supporting Actor for that. And they, I mean, out of nowhere, he just flops onto the stage and, and starts doing. Well, that's how strong he is, though. He was. He was. Hey, he was. You know, he was up in years when he did that. He right. Was strong. They actually had to stop him. <laughs> oh yeah, they they stop playing the music. How they yeah, do? They stop playing the music. <laughs> They're telling you to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, not many people listen to it, though. No. Keep on talking. All right, before we continue any further, Pat, sorry to interrupt, we need one more commercial break, Gianni. All right, please. We'll be right back. And listen to these commercials and support them, please. We need the money. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. And I'm so happy to be able to tell you tonight that we are expanding not only the show, not only how you can participate and share into so many different facets of my life and the life of this podcast and the world we created, we are going to expand our family. You're going to have an opportunity to actually join our family. And it'll be up to you how far you go in our family by the purchases of things we're putting out to you, um, the opportunities that you can take advantage of, like having a one-on-one conversation with me, having me visit your home while you have 10 people for dinner. There's so many things that you're going to be so excited. Just go to HollywoodGodfatherFamily.com and we'll have all the information you want. And believe me, I want you in my family. Don't let me come looking for you. All right, we're back. Rocco winds up uh, working very closely with Tony Accardo, uh, supporting his gambling operations, and, and and made the outfit millions and millions of dollars. You know, this was toward the end of his life. Yeah, I remember that. In fact, in fact, when uh, when we had the premiere, and most people don't know this, but Tony Accardo's son, Tony Jr., was the head of the projection union. And when the movie hit the theaters, the Four Deuces, we, they arranged for a private showing. It was like a movie of their good friend Rocco. <laughs> and everybody was laughing because I played Rocco. They said, how well do you do this one? <laughs> you know, it, it was my third film. I think it was 1974 or 75. But, you know, uh, just to show you what a charmed life Rocco led, he was caught up in a raid in his own casino, and he offers a bribe to the cops of $10,000. They turned it down, and they searched the place. They got 90 grand uh, that they found. They lock up Rocco, and the cops forgot to get a warrant. So they had to give it all back. I love it. <laughs> that guy lived under a, under a, a, a halo. Yeah. That's wow. funny. He went to the station house, walks out of the station house. They forgot to get the warrant. And they had to cut him loose. That is wild. That yeah. is crazy. No, but I mean, it just living it, you know, it's funny when you play a character, like I've played so many characters, but when you play a guy and then all of a sudden you're sitting in the places that they're talking about in Chicago. And uh, I was like a, a major movie star of these guys just doing this dumb movie. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a dumb movie, but I mean, it was to me, it was 
a joke. It wasn't The Godfather. No, definitely wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was pretty soon after The Godfather, right? Yeah. Uh, well, Lepke, I did one movie, uh, La Chatemont, in, in uh, Paris, which I really loved, with Karen Schubert. And, um, oh, and, uh, how do I remember these names? Nathan uh, Washburger, who was one of the biggest exhibitors of films in uh, in Paris, he owned the George Sank. He put up the money for this, and he saw The Godfather, and he wanted me to be the co-star with this girl, and uh, it was called The Punishment, La Chute de Mont. And I was on my way to the Cannes Film Festival, not for any reason, but we stopped in Nice, and all these photographers. Well, on on the on the on the tarmac, that's when they still had the the gang, you know, the, the wheels wheel up to the plane, not the the yeah. the gang planks that come out now. Right. And I'm I'm getting up. I was in first class. I'm getting off, and I'm seeing all these photographers, and I'm saying, "Who's on this plane?" I turn around. <laughs> <laughs> they were there because I didn't even know the movie was already released, and it was a big hit in France. So I wound up staying there an extra day. And uh, then I went on to uh, the Cannes Film Festival to see the movie down there because they they also had it at the festival. But um, and then well, you and Jerry Lewis, you and Jerry Lewis were the most famous uh, movie stars in France then, right? No, Jerry Lewis was huge. I was just I was just uh, one. T well, because of the Godfather and the other movies, but I mean Jerry Lewis was like their their long he's a god. He was like long son hero. They loved him for some reason. And he abused everybody. I don't even understand that. He was not a nice man. But to answer your question, I did that film, and then I did Lepke. This was my fourth film, Four Deuces. Okay. Because I remember it was out around 74, 75, and then I was really getting involved with a lot of other things. So poor Rocco, uh, to, to, to close out Rocco's life, he was visiting friends in 1964 in uh, Massapequa. For those of you who don't know, that's in uh, on Long Island, and uh, he—that's he, where he died. Had a massive heart attack, and he passed away at a at a friend's house. But he was in pretty good shape. I wonder why he was. Well, apparently, he heart disease ran in a family. Oh, oh, oh. ran in a family. His his brother died of a heart attack, also. So. Uh -huh. His his uh, brother was in his 50s, and Charlie uh, and Rocco rather was in his. Early 60s, I believe. Well, you know, the lifespan during that time was in the 60s. It's not like it is now. It was amazing. Yeah. Because I, I remember so many funerals I went to. Everybody was in their 60s, especially if they were living the good life because they, they all had gout and they all had everything else that you don't even hear about anymore. We'll eventually pay for the good life. Right. By the way, I was uh, reading somewhere the other day that the life expectancy in the United States now went down a year because of COVID. Went down a year for whites and down four years for blacks. Really? Do you believe that? I'm going to stay out of the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Gianni, you want to send us off for another commercial? Oh, yeah, please. One more commercial, and then we'll go to the mailbag, my favorite part of the show, or one of my favorite parts of the show. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are in paperback and are available on Amazon.com. 
I've been a PI for 30 years, and these books are based on my cases. Enjoy. All right, we're back. I think with that note, we should go to the mailbag. <laughs> First, we have a message from Anthony. Anthony says, recently my father passed away at the age of 87. We are from Campobasso, Italy. Somehow at 1 a.m. I came upon your interview on YouTube. I stayed up to listen to the entire hour and a half. It helped take my mind off the craziness of the day. All I can think to say is, man, you've got some serious balls. Oh, and a great smile. I'm going, to buy, I'm going to buy a CD of your book because, oddly enough, we have something else in common. I can't read very well either. Long life to you, Gianni. Oh, great. God bless. Yeah. Did he mean I play ball? What does he mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. All right. Next is from Karen. Karen says, hi, this question is for Gianni. From what I understand, the restaurateur Toots Shore was close to Frank Costello. I'm curious if you knew Toots and have any stories. Cheers from the UK. Well, I think you've missed a lot of shows. She <laughs> <laughs> might have to catch up. We, we talk about Toots an awful lot. I uh, was uh, brought in for questioning because they were trying to figure out how and where I got the $3 million that I lent to Shaw to build the new nightclub. And... Uh, there was a million dollars missing, but that's another whole show. Yeah, I, I was very close to Toots Shaw, and Mr. Costello basically owned Toots. <laughs> hmm. All right. Next is from Kawan. Kawan says, hi from Sweden. First of all, I want to tell you that I'm the biggest fan of the American-Italian mafia. I have long had an interest in how the Italians moved from their own country and took over the entire United States with their written laws. Right now, you have the best mafia podcast out of exactly everyone. Why? You tell everything in detail, and much is thanks to Gianni because he has been there live. I've probably read all the mafia books, and the book Hollywood Godfather is the best because Gianni details exactly everything and tells how people lived. Well, Pat did that. <laughs> you got to give Pat the credit for writing it. It's real life. <laughs> And then he says, I heard Gianni in an episode talk about Albanians being violent, etc., than Italians. And you can tell him that's not true. The Italians are much more organized. I will spread you around Sweden, and I really hope to hear from you. Oh, please. Great. Thank you. Well, you heard from us. Hope you're listening. You <laughs> All right. Next is from Luis. Luis says, hi, Megan. Love the show and the great cast of the Hollywood Godfather podcast. I have a question for Mr. Russo. Have you ever gone to the Coppola Winery in Napa, California? If so, what wine is your favorite, reds or whites? Thank you, and stay safe from San Carlos, California. I know. I went to it. Not only was I did I go, we were invited to go. And uh, one thing you learn about me: if you invite me, I will show up. And I was on the second floor where they had the Godfather desk and all of that. So. It was a really a great night. We had a, a big uh, dinner in the bar, barrel room, and I only drink reds, just so you know. I used to drink a lot of white on my boat in the summertime, but um, I'm not doing that right now. I'm staying with red. All right. Next is from Susan. Susan says, really enjoy your podcast. Actually, one of the best. Two questions. One, if you had a moment to see Mr. Costello with the maturity and life experience that you have now, what would you say to him? I probably would just hug him. I mean, with him, there was like three or four 
people like him that basically kept me out of trouble, if that's possible, and uh, kept me away from the mob, believe it or not. And many a times that, you know, people were trying to put their arm around me, as they used to say, because I was a big earner, and um, it was forbidden, even to today. But uh, Costello, you know, is like the true father that took me under his wing. Carlo Gambino was like my old uncle that I inherited just from being from the neighborhood. But Costello really was the guy that, you know, taught me the, the ins and outs and using the law to your advantage and by hiring lawyers and retaining them. And always, that's why I was always able to leave the country because a lot of people don't know that. Once you have a lawyer on record, even the FBI, you see it on television a lot, or the FBI, everybody wants to pick you up. They call your lawyer and say your client has to turn himself in on Monday. Well, whenever you would call me, I was out of the country. I could be down the block. When I got that call, I'm gone. <laughs> well, if they didn't serve you, you're not in contempt. So I wasn't served. There you go. And I don't have claustrophobia. right the season also says also what happened to mr costello's vast estate once his wife passed away i think you are reaching many people with your positive message which is such a wonderful thing thank you stacy thank you i i really don't know what happens his estate because of the fact that he was his estate is still going on just so you know i'm living in one of his buildings so (laughs) who's who's true who, who is uh, managing it? That's why the, no, he still has it because nobody knew who they were. And it was all lawyers set up and trust set up. And I think it'll go on forever, fortunately. All right, next is from George. Do you have any background information on Marilyn Monroe's friend, Jean Carmen, whose son published her story after her death in 2006? Included is her time in New York City, Johnny Roselli, the Vergas mob, or um, Vergas, maybe he meant Vegas, Peter Lawford, Jack and Bob Kennedy, Steve Cochran, Frank Sinatra, and Sam Giancana. Perhaps a show on Jean Carmen if she is factual. Well, I mean, she was her friend. I think they met in an orphanage, if my memory serves me right. She talked about her, but I didn't. I mean, her, her, her time with me was just reminiscing about the parallels of both our lives. You know, she was in an orphanage, and while I was in, a, in a Bellevue with polio and how we got to where we were, and the year that she's talking about and this kid wrote about was the year she came here to get away from the Xanax because she wanted to be recognized as a thespian, not a sex symbol. And she studied with everybody while she was here, and um, unfortunately, she didn't have the privilege of living longer, and uh, you know, died at a young age of 33, I think it was, or 34. But um, no, Malin was one of a kind. All right, next is from Kane. Kane asks, how would someone in the mob break away and start their own family? Would they have to be a certain rank, or do they need permission from their boss, or can they just start up on their own? We, we both can probably answer well, that. Well, I think you all can answer that. 
no, no, and no. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Well, imagine how many families would be in New York. There wouldn't be five. There'd be 5,000. <laughs> you wouldn't be so organized anymore. Well, it's not anyway. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the five families are here to stay, and they're not going to add any. No. Absolutely. And there's only one family in Chicago, if anybody cares about that. That's the outfit. They run it like right. a business. And then this is also from Kane, kind of similar to what you talked about before. Do you think Frank Costello would be proud of what you made of yourself and who you became? And if you could say one last thing to him, what would it be? Everybody loves your relationship with Costello. I know. Well, thank God. They got good taste. A great man. I mean, you know, it's there's a lot of facets to my stone because, you know, it's it's people like, you know, Costello and uh, Tony Accardo and Maya Lansky and then go on and on. And Mo Dalitz when I'm in Vegas and even a man who's still alive right now and I talk to him as much as I can, Al Malnick, just as a mentor and a lawyer. So, I mean, I've had a lot of great people around me and so I can't just say they all did me justice and I still have some people still advising me now. I've always been a good listener, and I and I you know, I take advice well. So if, I, if I'm successful, I owe it to maybe to a dozen at least people. But you know, Costello's a colorful character and a father. Mm -hmm. All right. Next is from Karen. Karen says, "Hi, I'm really enjoying the podcast. This question is for Gianni. I know that Frank Costello had business in Cuba. Have you ever worked in Cuba for Mr. Costello as an associate or during your acting and singing career?" No, no, that was all d done by then. <laughs> uh, Fidel Castro took over long before I had a, a career. No, I I was there early on, and I was just invited back by Maya Lansky's grandson. They still own the property, per se, of the National, and he thought maybe I'd want to go into business, and I just was very nice to the kid and said, I don't want another thing. I'm 78. I'm very happy with what I'm doing. The last thing I want to do is go to Cuba. Jesus. No, but no, and no, and no. <laughs> All right. Next is from George. He says, Frank Costello owned Manhattan real estate. One expensive location was a commercial building on Wall Street. 11. His neighbor was Number David 11. Rockefeller. <laughs> His neighbor was David Rockefeller. Can you share any stories of Frank, David, and Nelson Rockefeller? All very powerful New Yorkers. Thank you. No. They they all met at Tammany Hall, and I used to meet at Toot Shores, the Copa, and where I belonged. I was a young kid, and that, they didn't have me around. All right, next we have a message from Calvin. Calvin says, hello, Megan. I hope this is where you guys do the mail grab. I've been a fan of the show ever since season one. Gianni, you're the best. Your life is so exciting. I would love to meet you. Loved your book, finished it within three days. I have many questions to ask you and Pat. Pat, I can relate to you. As a child, I had a learning disability. People thought I was slow and stupid, but I re-educated myself and accomplished a lot in my life. Now I'm a chef and a physician assistant. I write as well. I have written scripts for clients and I'm finishing my book. I truly enjoy every word of your podcast. I totally can relate. My grandfather was involved in organized crime and I always find the mafia exciting and very interesting. Megan, you are a breath of fresh air. It's good to have your loving spirit among these fine gentlemen. Whoa. Very sweet message. Wow. Oh, 
Very nice. Very nice. Yes, Thank you, right. Calvin. He knows how to write. Calvin. He sure does. He, Calvin should become a, one of our top fans. <laughs> no, but the, you know, I, I, you know, I'm finding interesting uh, about seventy percent of tonight's mailbags are about Frank Costello. A lot have been, and yeah. I didn't even notice that when I was putting together the questions. No, to me, it's like uh, it's right on people's minds. There, there's there's a revelation going on about Costello. It's interesting. There's, there's a you know he he's, he's been gone now how long? Uh, Fifty years. Se- yeah, seventy-three. He died. I mean, there's a there's a mystique about the man that's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, thank God. I mean, it's uh, you know what? Um, I actually have a question for you that just popped into my head, Gianni. If I could. Um, I recently watched the movie The Departed with Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio. There's a whole line of great actors in that. And I had never seen the film before. It was one that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Great movie. And Jack Nicholson's character is named Frank Costello, yet it's based on Whitey Bulger. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So why would they name him Frank Costello if it wasn't Frank Costello? Well, Frank Costello, first of all, Costello... Is an Irish name, yeah, right. That's why he he took it. That's not really his name. He took it as an Irish name, but coming to America, found it was Italian. <laughs> Frank Castiglia. Yeah. So right. I mean, yeah, I mean he he played Whitey Bulger. I mean, the Departed. Frank Costello is an extremely common name in the Irish community. Oh my God! Yeah. Knowing how would. As I don't, but maybe Johnny can chime in here. They probably just picked it out of the air and said, "Let's call him Frank Costello." Well, he picked it because he was thought, you know, he was getting very political, and he didn't want to go there with his Italian name. So they used to tease him, said, "Well, you took another Italian name." He said, "No, it's an Irish name." But that, that's right. A tr- but in truly. the film, I wonder if there was if they even realized when they were naming the character that. Well, they had to keep it Irish, so I don't know who wrote that. But who wrote that? I think was it Marty wrote that. Yeah, it was it was a Scorsese film. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so funny. I was. It was so interesting because I'm looking it up, and I was like, "This the character certainly does not seem like it no, would be based no, on Frank Costello." No, no. So then I looked it up after, and I was like, "Oh, okay, no. Bulger makes more sense." No, wh- wh- Whitey Bulger was. I mean, it, it's funny because you know, uh, the last time he was out. He was at my house several times in California, and my my kids got to know him, but they didn't know it was Whitey Bulger, and I think that was the last nail in the coffin with my wife, <laughs> because oh, you know, she got to meet John Gotti, she got to meet all these people, and she's so legitimate, and then you know. This great old man and his girlfriend were coming on Sundays for dinner because he was on the lamb hanging in Santa Monica. And I would invite him. Nobody knew who he was. And then he was all over the news when they raided the place. Well, the FBI, the FBI did the smart thing. They stopped looking for Whitey Bulger. And looking for his girlfriend. Yeah. They should have done years ago. Yeah. She was going out. She was going to a hairdresser. She was going out. Whitey was staying home like he was supposed to. Yeah. No. And they and, knew her name. It's not like they didn't know her name. But she was using her name. That was so crazy, too. Yeah, using her real name. And once they uh, once they started looking for her, he was captured in, in short order. They oh, my her. God, yeah. That's crazy. It's the FBI. Hmm. Yeah, right. All right, well, that is all I have for tonight. Well, that's great. What a great show. 
Yes. And great Another questions. Great show. Yeah. And thank you all for, I mean, the questions are really getting, really, a new word I learned, intuitive, you know, about my life. So I guess we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much. I By now, you should be knowing about the family. You got to join the family, man. If you think the podcast is great, you got to go to some of the Zoom meetings. There's some find exciting out stuff that. to offer. That's right. La familia. La familia. Well, thank you, my partner, Pat. Megan, our boss and uh, executive producer. And she's got you so just many keep titles. Giving me now. more titles. Why not? <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. I'm going to give you a crown next week. Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Queen, queen would be good. Or oh, princess. Princess, probably. Yeah, princess. Princess. All right. Well, thank you all. Stay tuned. Tell your friends. Write opinions and, and, and great uh, reviews, hopefully. And uh, we got a lot happening, man. You're going to be very surprised where we're going next. God bless you all. Wear a mask and stay healthy. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, guys. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around. Give me a call. Yeah. Welcome to Weinstein's. I love being here, man. It's so much fun.